Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome to Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thank you for so much for joining us. This is episode 53. Joseph Malazzi is back for part five, and we're going to be discussing season seven, primarily, of Stargate SG-1. However, if you have other questions for him, you are more than welcome uh, to submit them into the YouTube chat uh, right now at youtube.com slash dial the gate. So that's the uh, the normal process that we go through for these episodes. I have a series of questions with Joe. We talk for a little while about uh, the main content, and then we bring in the fans on uh, youtube.com slash dial the gate so get your questions in over there my moderators are standing by so and thanks so much to my uh team tracy uh keith jeremy reese summer you guys are uh the best and to linda gate gabber fury and uh jennifer kirby as well the team that makes up uh dial the gate before we really get started into it here if you like stargate and you want to see more content like this on youtube it would mean a great deal if you click the like button it really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click on the subscribe icon and giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live and clips from this live stream will be appearing over the course of the next several days and weeks on gateworld.net. Thank you again for tuning in. And Joseph Malazzi is back. Hello. I was showing I was showing this off initially because I asked I asked Joe about whether or not this is uh, uh, true in in television, and he says this is more in film than it is in TV. So there's in in television, it's more of a combined effort. That's right. Correct. Okay, got it. I, I, the, the only addition I would make to that photo is uh, in film, uh, one hand is reaching out for the director child. While the other hand is actually pushing the writer child underneath the surface of the water, that <laughs> is more appropriate Jeez. to film. So let's so let's back up and and, and uh, go by season seven one more time. So yeah. you were brought over to Sci Fi Channel for a sixth and final season, and yes. now season seven is coming about. And what are we going to do? We have more stories to produce now. Yes, exactly. And and one of the ways that um, Robert Cooper, who was a showrunner at the time, uh, sought to, I mean, keep things alive, mm-hmm. if you will, is by bringing back Daniel, the character of Daniel Jackson. Uh, specifically because uh, Richard Dean Anderson was looking to sort of, you know, sort of uh, uh, kind of lessen his time on the show. So it just kind of made sense to bring back a familiar face. So did you guys approach Michael? Uh, yeah, that was all Rob. He actually called Michael up and they had a conversation and discussed. And um, um, in the end, uh, they came together with you know an agreement and, and uh, Daniel came back for season seven. 
what do you think SG one would have been like had uh, it continued without Daniel and Corn stayed on? Because I'm assuming Corn uh, would have been willing to stay on for a season seven. I would assume, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I really liked working with Corn. I still mm. like Corn very much, so I, I was kind of sorry to see him go. Um, it's really kind of hard to imagine how the show would have progressed because I was thinking about it the other day and the fact that, um, you know, those Daniel stories uh, just became such an integral part of those later seasons, the relationship with Vala. And then I think about Atlantis and the fact that, you know, uh, you know, he's in, you know, you did a couple of the crossover episodes Mm and, and, and I mean, obviously it was, uh, it was a story that was kind of very near and dear to that character. So, I mean, it's really hard to imagine what it would have been like without him in those later seasons. You know, I, I would have been interested to see a show that had, I mean, I, I suppose it's, it's a, it's a writing bandwidth thing. It's a money thing. It's a, how many people can you fit into the shot frame? You know, cause it's one of the things that, uh, that, uh, Brad always talked about, you know, is it's it's sixteen nine. You know, it's pretty conducive to fitting four people into a frame. You know, yeah. um, then you guys expanded to five with Vala. It would have been really interesting to see a show that that had Corin and Michael both on it. You mm-hmm. know, um, but they really kind of the advantage of Vala was she occupied a space that she created. You know, mm-hmm. that 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 Claudia and you guys created together that really wasn't there before. Kind of a rogue uh, element that Corin and Michael would have overlapped. Yeah, I mean, that that was the issue in the end. And the fact that even though the characters were very different, they essentially played the same role within the team. Yeah, yeah. The um, the. The role that that particular part, I think, cannot be overstated. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, I think um, if if I may be perfectly honest, was sometimes lacking on Atlantis, kind of that moral voice. I know Weir was mm-hmm. that voice, mm-hmm. but she was often on Atlantis, you know, yeah. and not a part That's of true. the team itself that was making the calls mm-hmm. on, at that moment. Yeah, that's true. Very different dynamic. Mm-hmm. So, season seven, we are upping the ante with Anubis. Uh, you have to kind of put him into a place where he's escalating his power. Um, tell us about building out that season and when during the season was the discussion for a spinoff really coming into play where you had to really start dealing with that in that writer's room as well, in terms of strategically moving the pieces around? Um, so what what year did uh, Atlantis premiere? 2004. 2004. So that's next year with season season eight. Yeah. Season eight. So, so yeah, uh, we were picked up for a seventh and presumably final season. So we... We broke season seven with a mind to, to really building towards that, you know, uh, showdown with Anubis, building up Anubis, uh, building towards that showdown and, and uh, you know, tying up all the uh, loose ends uh, or as much as possible. 
given the fact that we had you know already what like 250 so 200 episodes under our belt um <laughs> less maybe less uh maybe less and and then of course you know late in the game we we discovered that we were that we were actually coming back um for for an eighth season and i'm not sure who I, I i that was probably the network's call to um you know uh create that that sci-fi friday time slot where you know have sun as a lead-in um, you know, and, 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 um, hand off to Atlantis. And I, I think the plan was to do that for a season and obviously make SG1's eighth season its last, uh, but we'll get to that in time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, really at that point, it was like full focus on season seven for us while Brad and Robert, you know, behind the scenes were, uh, uh, you know, feverishly working, uh, spinning ideas for the for the Atlanta spinoff. Okay, so you kept your head down with with SG One. Um, the show was also really beginning to build momentum in its popularity. I mean, it's not like it. You guys were um, not known when it was on sci when it was on Showtime, but when it came to Sci Fi Channel, it just. It, started to explode i mean mm-hmm. that's that was the season that got the tv guide cover season seven um did uh uh what was it did, i i suppose you know if because you kept on working it was it was just another another season for you um you had you had plenty of of uh stuff to keep you busy but was there any kind of a notice or a recognition at the time that you that you can recall that the series was beginning to pick up momentum in terms of of viewership and interest and broader acceptance into the mainstream um to be honest with you we were on the inside and to a certain degree insulated from all that we're just so focused on writing scripts but i mean i you know i i spend a fair amount of time online um, and I was already aware well of the uh, aware of the uh, the passionate fan base. And, you know, now that you mention it, I, uh, the TVD guy cover um, is uh, was a pretty big deal mm-hmm. back then. Um, and you know, the the numbers kept on going up. We kept on, you know, uh, building, which was which was great. So, you know, when you're in a situation like that, it's it, it, you know, you it's hard to think of of uh, of ending of, of things waning. That's uh, you know, you just you just think you're creating a obviously a product that that audiences respond to, and hopefully those audiences will tell their friends, and and things will continue to build. Uh, yeah. When um, when you picked up your first story for this season, uh, the episode where we lose uh jonas where he goes back to his home planet where we kind of resolve the second half of the Mm -hmm. opening arc of that season it was um homecoming tell us about bringing anubis to Kelowna and you know finding a way to uh, uh get jonas in a situation where he can sacrifice himself uh for uh daniel and for uh uh his people so that they welcome him back yeah i mean like I said, I had a lot of respect for Corn, a lot of respect for the character. And I guess more than anything, I wanted to leave the door open uh, for a possible revisit or return and, and have the character go out on 
his own terms, but like I said, rather than kill him off, um, mm. have him sacrifice in another way. And so basically he makes a sacrifice for his people and, um, and ends up conveniently uh, leaving, I want to say like a, a, a spot for, for Daniel, but certainly, I mean, it was, it, it was not lost on, on, on the audiences that with Daniel's return, uh, Jonas's position in the team became somewhat uh, um, tenuous, I guess. Right. Someone else would have to feed uh, Jonas's fish. Right. So, <laughs> uh, and we, I, I can't ignore the, um, the, the fervent fan uh, uh, response, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stirred up after Michael left. And that mm-hmm. was, that was going to be, I guess, I guess tempered now that they were basically a lot of uh, like the save Daniel Jackson camp uh, right. was, was basically getting what they wanted. You know, uh, they were, they were, they were going to get, uh, get Daniel back. And um, those guys to this day, take the credit for that. Uh, yeah. Well, to be honest with you, I mean, you know, the, the, the decision was, was, was Rob's purely because of, of, of Rick's, uh, um, you know, Rick's, I would say reluctance to, to continue committing to a full schedule, but but in essence, that's, that was it. And Rob said, well, you know, he remember him talking to me in the office of thinking of bringing uh, Michael back. And I love Michael, but I was like, mm. you know, I, I personally couldn't stand those Save Daniel Jackson fans. And I was like, <laughs> if, you know, you, you do realize that if you do this, they'll think that right. it's because of them. And that for me was a reason not to do it. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Don't give the but, dog the bone. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but Rob was like, no, you know, it, it it just makes sense. You know, overall, it's good for the show. And I was like, well, you know, he was a showrunner, so uh, I defer to him. Daniel had a huge fan base. There was yeah. no denying that. Michael had yeah. created a, uh, you know, in, in some respects, a character that was so much the heart and soul of of that show. And in season six, you proved that it could work without him. But at the same time, you know, I think I think Rob was was right. You know, if if Rick is going to continue to, um, uh, uh, he still wanted to be involved in the show. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he if his if his role was going to be uh, minimized a little bit more year after year, mm-hmm. then probably bringing bringing Michael in to to fill in some of that space was probably for the best. And at mm-hmm. this point, um, when Daniel came back. And I don't want to understate this. That character changed um, in terms of his his wonderment was gone. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. wanted to know, was that uh, a deliberate mindset that you guys put yourselves into? This is He is essentially a fallen angel now for all intents and purposes. Um, and was it also because Rick is leaving, we want to, you know, show that... Jack has more or less rubbed off more on Daniel. Let's give him a little bit more of Jack's snark. Or was it just something that, you know, we, it needs, it needs to fit with someone and it, and it fits with Daniel best. It was the more of the, the rest former of the series. It was more of the former, but a lot had to do with Michael okay. who felt that his character had progressed past that, um, you know, past the Daniel Jackson. He was in those early seasons you know, he's heading off world. He's, he's firing a gun. I mean, he always emphasized the fact that, you know, he was, you know, uh, 
yeah, a warrior now. Yeah, very much so. He knew how to handle himself with a P90. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was just a, it was a very um, in in so many respects, in terms of temperament, it was no longer the same character. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam also uh, had some growth. She was always. Her life was at the base, you know, and <laughs> I can't understate this enough. One, one of the one of the uh, uh, things that and, and we'll get to it again, in Chimera. But I, I want to make sure that we hit it now mm-hmm. is you you give her a line. Uh, There's no uh, zoo in Colorado Springs. <laughs> and this and I remember going online and reading Well, the writers didn't check. There's the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like. Uh, that's their point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's never she's never out on the surface. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what was it? You know what? Let's 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 set that aside for a minute. I want to get to revisions uh, next. So this is a real sci-fi kind of story where mm-hmm. you have a population in a bubble that is shrinking. Tell us about the genesis, the nucleus, if you will, for for revisions. Uh, so I came up with the idea and I pitched it and it was a slightly different version when I pitched it. It was a lot darker. And, uh, and, uh, Rob Cooper, uh, you know, he liked the kernel of the idea. So often happened with Rob. He liked the kernel of the idea and he spins it uh, his way. And so I remember we went to lunch and he's like, we should do this. And then I countered and, and, uh, I want to say it was like a heated exchange, but certainly it was a lively, uh, uh, spinning session. Then we ultimately got the story we got. And, and I just like it because it's one of those, um, you know, our, our former visual effects supervisor, James Titchener, mm. uh, you know, uh, really loved the, the episode just because it was a pure sci-fi one-off. You know, it's one of those classic tales where SG-1 goes off world, encounters a an alien civilization, and the story completes itself over the course of that episode. So it's not, what is it encumbered by, but certainly it's not tied into any of the pre-existing mythology or any of the, you know, anything that has come before. And, um, you know, one of the things I always loved about Stargate was the ability to tell those standalone stories, but also the serialized stories. But for me, coming up with those standouts, uh, standalone stories was always the most satisfying because those were the hardest ones to pitch and to, uh, to, to do. Because you're not connecting it to to anything else structurally that's already in place, and you're mm-hmm. you're taking a risk. You know, if it, it may work, it may not. You know. Yep. So you hit really something very um, uh, prescient in that episode with the link devices, mm. neural link. You know mm-hmm. what Elon mm-hmm. Musk is working on the internet. What we all have now. Mm-hmm. Was that going, any of that going through the back of your mind? Um, less so the Musk. Uh, well, yes, and, and that wasn't happening yet. Yeah, but certainly, I mean, you know, so neural links and neural syncs are, are, are something that being explored in sci-fi um, for ages. And so we just, you know, I, I love taking those those sci-fi chestnuts and giving them a, a, a new spin by, you know, putting them in a completely different context and uh, different, completely different attacks. So again, you know, it, it, it was an, you know, interesting device to get us what ultimately a bittersweet tale guest starring 
Christopher Heyerdahl. Christopher Heyerdahl. Yeah. And yet another role. Uh, role. Yeah. Was that, that was his first role. That was his first role in Stargate. That is, was unless he was like a background player at some point. Yeah. I don't believe so. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. what a coup. You know, disco- uh, discovering and, and weaving that guy in throughout the rest mm-hmm. of the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Atlanta, franchise, I should say, Atlantis. Um, that that is a, a, one of my favorite standalone episodes because you know of its implications for what can happen to us if we let technology just completely take us over and do mm-hmm. its own thing. You know, I think it's a mm-hmm. fear in a lot of us who think about free will and self-determination and you know this thing is literally wiping people out so that it can maintain the whole and uh yeah i mean and it sounded pretty implausible then um but nowadays right you know kind it's of happening yeah Jeez. social media right exactly yeah. there is a there is a, a collective thing happening here yes so, for better and for worse mm-hmm. Avenger 2.0. Mm. So whose idea was it to to bring back Jay Felger? To be honest with you, I don't recall. Okay. Um, but, you know, we loved him in, in, uh, in The Other Guys. <laughs> and uh, it was just an opportunity. I mean, we always kind of liked the comic episodes. In retrospect, this one is not my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, Is it just in terms of were you when you f- f- finished the final draft? Were you dissatisfied with it, or is it no. just in terms of how it came about on the screen? No, that that isn't. I mean, sometimes it that's the case, but in this case, it wasn't. Um, you know that I, I I think you know when you're every time you write a script for the most part, you think you're doing, you're delivering the best possible, um, you know, uh, product. Um, and then those occasions when, you know, in time you go back and you look at, you, you know, you think about the episode and you think, ah, uh, you know, I, you know, some of those things kind of miss the mark. Um, I thought the Felger character ultimately was a little too OTT over the top. Yes. Okay, so got it. That that was, I guess, my uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, some things just don't age well, mm-hmm. you know. And you could look back at it and go, you know, I know what I was trying to do. I know what I yep. wanted to do. Yep. I don't think I hit it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but God knows I tried. So it's uh, not every one of them is going to be a home run. No, you know, no, no. and it- it's. It has some uh, interesting ideas in it. Mm-hmm. You have um, the the first real episode that that you come back to later on, and that that uh, indicates how the gates talk to one another. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of a lot of Stargate, uh, Stargatey uh, mechanics elements in, into this episode. The DHDs mm-hmm. all send each other updates as as the universe continues to expand, as the galaxy mm-hmm. continues to spread out. And Ball attacks it. This this one I think uh, also really began to show um, uh, Cliff Simon's uh, uh, potential involvement in yeah. in the continuing series. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like getting Cliff back and building on the mythology of Ball? Well, I was always a big Cliff fan. And uh, what was the, the episode? Summit. Summit ah. really, was redesigned really as a means of, of introducing a handful of system lords and, you know, deciding based on, on the performances, you know, who we would bring, we would bring back. And I think that's Ball. We introduced Ball in, in, in that episode, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and Cliff was great. And, you know, like you said, you, you got a kind of a sense of it here, but it's not until later episodes that his character comes out, his true character comes out. And by true character, I mean, you know, I'm always a big fan of villains with an underlying sense of humor. And that's what uh, <laughs> Cliff was able to bring with Ball. And, and so that's why, you know, he fast became my favorite system lord. I, but I mean, it, it's all a discovery process, yeah. right? I mean, it, it's the same uh, uh, case with uh, the character of uh, of McKay, who he introduced as, as kind of a foil for, for Carter and just a real pain in the ass. And then the opportunity presented itself and we ended up putting him on Atlantis and he developed into, it's not a completely different character, but certainly a more uh, likable one. When and you was the same thing yeah. With Ball, what what you achieved with McKay was something very unique in that you know, especially with the fan base. I expected when when McKay went to Atlantis and he was announced on uh, on that lineup, I was like, <laughs> oh boy, um, <laughs> I love David Hewlett. I am going yeah. to love watching him. The fandom is going to eat him alive, mm-hmm. and because. He was a meanie head to Carter. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not what happened. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it's because Atlantis really grew its own fan base and fandom. Or if it's just because, you know, people just decided to bury the hatchet with him and give him a chance. But McKay has always had these these uh, warriors who are just ready to stand beside him in, in battle and, and say, you know, don't mess with him, man. Yeah, he's got his issues and everything else, but there's always been a big yeah, but with McKay. But McKay is right. brilliant. The mm-hmm. character just worked uh, when, um, in comparison to some uh, some previous characters, you know, the fandom didn't accept them as much. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of it has to do with, like you said, David Hewlett. He's mm-hmm. fantastic. And um, I keep saying humor goes such a long way towards allowing audiences to connect with characters and and mckay was a humorous character that you really grew to love and you know when you were talking about about kind of the the mckay situation to a lesser extent is something we did with woolsey in the later Mm. seasons of atlantis kind of this pencil pushing uh bureaucrat pain in the ass who (laughs) you know becomes quite lovable uh in 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 the last very own ways atlantis yeah that's absolutely true you had uh the chance uh, to bring back um, Corin, you opened that mm-hmm. door, and he walked back through it for one episode of uh, Fallout. Yes. So Corin wrote, uh, came up with the story. Mm-hmm. So did he approach you guys with a pitch, or did you reach out to him and say, "Hey, we'd like to have you back this year. Do you have any ideas? How did that go down?" No, he actually approached us with a pitch. He sent it, and I remember the the working title was uh, "Turn of Events." Which uh, we're like, well, that could really apply to 
pretty much every episode of, <laughs> of Stargate. So, um, so yeah, I mean, he wrote an outline and we gave him notes and ultimately Paul and I took over and uh, it was nice to have him back. Uh, I remember uh, kind of bumping on the fact that um, him and his uh, girlfriend had the exact same haircut, make them look like siblings, which was kind of creepy. Uh, but uh, it was nice to have him back. Uh, gosh. Uh, how do you think um, uh, that episode uh, pulled itself off in comparison to like an episode like Avenger 2.0 when you were when you were finished with um, uh, the final draft and it uh, moved to the screen and you got your final result? Um, I will say this episode was better than Avengers 2.0 in okay. my humble opinion. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I look back at season seven and i think for me uh it kind of was my least favorite season of the show just in terms of uh stories i mean there were standouts for me the standouts were uh uh fragile balance fragile balance because of michael welch's performance as young so good he was uh, you know terrific um revisions which you mentioned just because it was a pure sci-fi show uh episode lifeboat for Michael Shanks' uh, Tour de Force, which I thought was, uh, you know, incredible. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, and then then there's some good episodes. I mean, you know, I, I, I liked Evolution 1 and 2. And, and uh, um, you know, of course, you know, the, the, the Heroes two-parter. Um, Arguably you know, I think, some of the yeah. best Stargate that you guys did. Yeah, yeah. Not arguably just... some of the best. Definitely some of the best. Yes. Arguably the best. yes. And then it's finishing up strong with uh, Lost City 1 yeah. and 2. But, you know, in terms of sort of um, arc contribution to the Stargate canon in, in Season 7, uh, I thought uh, we'd done better work on, on, on other uh, seasons. We had we had this conversation over Season 6, you know, in trying to at least... Uh, uh, not dig too... Not be able to dig too deep because we don't, we don't have a ton of time. But in terms of... What is it that makes a season, you know, successful when you think about it as that number, you know, season seven, season six, you know, how do I, how do I feel about it? Is the whole greater than the sum of its parts? And in terms of season seven, I would really have to agree with you on many levels that when when I look back on my favorite seasons of of Mm -hmm. SG-1, Seasons three, four, and four and five for me, you know, particularly mm-hmm. season four in terms of consistently great episodes that I loved, and every mm-hmm. fan is going to have their own kind of frame f- frame to that because a lot of it has to do with when they discovered it, with mm-hmm. when they were really getting hooked into it, and what was happening in their life at the time. I think has a mm-hmm. great deal to do with that. For season seven, I think that uh, the mythology was getting denser. You guys were having much more to deal with on your plate in the office. There was a there, which you know, there's an underlying tension there because there's an expectation to perform. You're going to be expanding the the writing staff very shortly, uh, and you know, at a certain point, you do have to ask yourself, "Geez, what have we not done?" <laughs> so, but I would have to say that. Uh, your multi-part stories mm. in season seven got better. You know, when you really look at it that way, the bigger stories that you were, that you were wanting to tell 
were really some of the best. Evolution's, you know, a, a, a yeah. solid two-parter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Heroes and Lost City, those are movies mm-hmm. in many respects. Am I in any way off track? Am I? In- no, no, you're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. And, and I mean, you ask different people and they'll give you different answers as to which season was their favorite, but what makes a great season. And for me, uh, what makes a great season is, are kind of the takeaways in terms of either the big stories, the big moments, or really the big character moments, you know, and, 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 um, you know, I mean, again, when I think of this, this season, I think of, like you mentioned, those two big two-parters, just because they were so um, kind of important to the, to 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 the Stargate story, uh, kind of as a whole, you know, basically they, they you know drew on 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 the mythology and what you know how far we'd come. Uh, but then there were those like you know bigger moments, like like I mentioned Michael Shanks' performance in, in, in uh, Lifeboat, mm-hmm. uh, which again it's, it's kind of one of those one-off sci-fi stories. Um, but you know, I had a really interesting um, kind of uh, uh, moral. An ethical dilemma at, at its heart and and those i think are kind of always the best stories and then mm-hmm. i just think of fragile balance again just because um i didn't think uh it's, it's not that i didn't think an actor could come in and and get o'neill i was just surprised by how dead on michael, michael Welsh was. was able to to, to, to get uh o'neill and he uh, attributed a lot of that to Peter DeLuise, you know, working side by side with him to make sure mm-hmm. that he got Rick right. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it just works. Uh, there are uh, some great stories in this season, and you know we can't we can't uh, move on to season seven without bringing up the um, the tragedy of the loss of uh, one of our f- dear favorites. Um, Tell us how you felt and what it was like to realize that, you know what, we're going to have to really, uh, uh, you know, put our money where our mouth is on heroes and lose one of our favorites. Yeah, I mean. The, we've talked with Rob about it. You know, I'm interested yeah. in your perspective. Um, really. Again, it was Rob's story. So mm-hmm. and, you know, I. I, I, I didn't disagree with him that in order to tell that type of story, you want to feel the impact of loss. And the thinking at the time uh, when the, when the episode was being written and and shot was that this was our final season. So yeah. So that was part of Rob's explanation to Terrell that, you know, this was the last season in any case. So, uh, you know, you'd be going out with a bang and, you know, your character, um, you know, yeah, literal bang. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and it, it, it's, 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 it's an amazing two-parter, um, you know, and, and in, in, incredibly in, impactful and, and especially considering, you know, we did go on for another three seasons after that <laughs> without, without Dr. Fraser. I know, and it was it. It felt like for a little while it was um, uh, there was there was kind of a an audition of of doctors 
coming in to mm-hmm. kind of kind of fill in that role. Like SGC was really having a bit of a time trying to uh, find the right person to 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 fill that slot. It wasn't really until uh, Lexadoga came along that you guys kind of settled in again mm-hmm. uh, to someone else. So it's a it's a testament to that character, you know, that she yeah. was so successful that you couldn't find. Oh, here's here's Jane Doe. You know, we're going to slot her right in and it's perfect. You know, mm-hmm. there was there was an ingredient that I think the show was continually trying to find, you know, maybe maybe you would disagree with that in terms of finding another uh, doctor to kind of fit that slot. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have to review, but I think we we tried a couple of different mm-hmm. uh, possibilities for settling on on Lexa. Yeah, and, there was uh, uh, you had um, uh, Doctor Brighton, who was played mm-hmm. by oh, gosh, for Pete's sake. Um, so you had uh, Carmichael, who was it? Carmichael? It was uh, what's his face from. Um, David, how unprofessional. Uh, the uh, uh, learning curve. So mm-hmm. he had played uh, one of the um, Orbanians. Mm-hmm. So he had he had come back. And then you had uh, uh, Dr. Brighton as well. Mm-hmm. And I think there may have been uh, one more until we yeah. settled on Dr. I mean, Lamb. Uh, well, I mean, unfair to, to, to them because they were following in the footsteps of the wonderful Terrell, Terrell Rothery. Rothery. But, what, but what made... The Dr. Lamb character stick, I think, besides Lexa's, you know, wonderful performance was the fact that her kind of personal connection to to Landry and sort of that kind of made for for kind of an interesting, uh, uh, you know, uh, story beneath the surface. Yeah, there was emotional skin in the game. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Season seven, it will go down as one of the uh, more pivotal ones in, uh, mm-hmm. in in Stargate lore. You guys were building up to uh, uh, blowing out uh, a mythology. Uh, Lost City had um, a fair number of changes, you know, before you you know put it out on the screen. You know, Atlantis was originally supposed to be in Antarctica and was supposed to rise out of the ice and blow mm-hmm, a nu- mm-hmm. and blow Anubis to hell. Yeah, that's not what happened. You ha- you no. tweaked it to an outpost. Yeah, well that that was all Rob and Brad. Um, yeah, I mean, Lost City one and two were supposed to be our series finale, and uh, as it turns out, it wasn't yet again. <laughs> was the story of Lost City ever considered a, for a feature? That story in uh, and of itself, because that's what I remember at the time. Yeah, I reading I, that I, it was going to be it was going to be a movie, that particular story, and then you guys yeah. truncated it into a two parter for the finale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I do recall as well. Yeah. Great way to end it. So, yeah. And then when we came back, you had two of these things. Went from twenty two episodes to forty a season. Yeah. It's crazy to think now, given how much work just ten episodes. Like now everything is ten episodes. Right. Um uh, you know, producing a 10 episode season to think that we produce 40 episodes of television a year is uh downright crazy. And that, you know, that, that half of them weren't mediocre is, mm-hmm. is amazing that the, the caliber of the shows were as strong as they were, you yeah. know, that sci Friday block of SG one Atlantis and, and Galactica, 
you know, that started after the new year. People talked about that for years. I would I mm-hmm. would meet people just randomly who were who were science fiction fans in general who recalled Sci Fridays as being some mm-hmm. of the best. I mean, that was must see viewing. Mm-hmm. And we don't really mm-hmm. have at least for me, I don't have that anymore. There isn't a show that I haven't even seen Mandalorian season two yet. I haven't seen mm-hmm. it. It's not at the top I of my list. I haven't seen season one yet. Well, see, there you go. You know mm-hmm. that that kind of maybe that's just us. Maybe we're old, but maybe. I mean, <laughs> You know, it, that kind of that kind of programming just doesn't really exist anymore, as far as I'm concerned, and that's that's a shame. But you know what? It's uh, it's great to look back and and have, you know, these wonderful stories. So, I have some fan questions for you. Oh, great! Keith Homel from yes. season seven, um, or you know, maybe let maybe take it broader. Uh, a favorite moment that you've had from the Stargate episodes that you've written where what you wrote on the page really came to life, where the actors, you know, or one of them in particular, as you say, made a meal of it. Uh, Something that sticks out. Let's say season seven. Yeah. Since we're focusing on season seven. Yeah. Um, I would probably go back. You know, this was a year, by the way, I, I noticed that, uh, we wrote the fewest number of scripts for the show. I was looking reason. at that. I wondered what that yeah. was. I, I, just I how it guess happened? we were just kind of busy with, okay. with other aspects. Um, so I guess for me, it was re- revisions. And, and a lot of it had to do with, with um, our, our, our friend Christopher Heyerdahl, uh, mm-hmm. who just delivered a, just an incredible performance in just that last line where you know, he approaches – uh, Carter and, and says, you know, tell me about her, basically his lost wife that he no wife. longer remembers. Um, so, you know, that episode, I, I think for me was, uh, was, was a, a very much a pleasant surprise. And it, you know, set the tone for uh, uh, a great performance to come in the terms of Todd. Yes. <laughs> so, and hauling. Let's not forget hauling. Yes. So no, absolutely. No. Teresa MC, who's your favorite superhero? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. I mean, it, it would probably be too. Sorry, that's my. Hello, Suji. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've been fond of Deadpool way before the movies were, you know, even had anyone even had an idea of, 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 uh, of uh, creating a, a big screen uh, uh you know, adaptation of the of the character back when uh, Joe Kelly was writing uh, him back in comics. So he, he he's more of an antihero. If, if basically I had to pick a superhero, um, I would probably say Spider Man. And it's no secret then because he's he's you know sort of a characters who 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 wisecracks a lot. I think if I'm not mistaken, Deadpool was actually created as as almost kind of a uh, a. Uh, a, a, a response to Spider Man, yeah, an anti Spider Man almost. Yeah. If you'll excuse me, I'm just going to uh, sure. send my dog into the next room. Hang on. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> that's the thing with these live shows, folks. You know, you never know what you're going to get, so you gotta you gotta roll with the punches and just keep on going. Like me earlier with muting Joe's mic. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Oh, Absolutely. Okay. That'll keep her busy for a while. <laughs> Got to get her taken care of. I'm surprised you didn't say Green Lantern. You know, I like 
Green Lantern, I just find that um, like he, he's a character like Superman where there really is no limit to his abilities. And people can say, oh, the imagination. But I mean, yes and no. Yeah. Uh, you know, whereas characters like Batman, uh, specifically Batman, are, 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 you know, characters who have to make the most uh, with what they have, circumstances, uh, and and yet still be the equal of you know those great heroes like the Flash, Green Lantern, and and uh, and Superman. Teresa brought up specifically Batman because um, Shepard and McKay are constantly bringing him up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm sure that was that, that was Batman definitely is, partly your doing. Yeah, Batman is is more of my uh, DC uh, <laughs> uh, favorite. Go-to. No, but actually the, the 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 Batman and Robin stuff, I think. Who brought that up? I mean, each care, each writer was was, um, you know, responsible for a different. Uh, uh, you know, like I think it was Brad was responsible for all the Wizard of Oz references. <laughs> uh, if Jaws was ever mentioned, that was Rob. I think yeah, the Batman um, and Robin was probably Rob. Okay, yeah. for me, it was always the food references. <laughs> like, uh, uh, yeah. Well, we, when we get to the universe. They're, they're just tons of them. Oh, my gosh. O'Neill's trying to make me eat colored gelatin. <laughs> uh, Redux. So this mm-hmm. is, I think, a question for Joel Goldsmith. Um, may he rest in peace. Um, do, do you have? Did you guys have any input in the language and the lyrics uh, for the Atlantis and Ori uh, music vocalizations? That's a great, that's a great question. I uh, I did that you remember. Yeah, no, I that would really be more question for Rob and and Brad because they were all over that. They worked very closely with with, Joel. uh, Joel. I mean, Joel would would, you know would always you know give me a call and be like you know to discuss uh, one of our you know individual episodes for the but for the big picture things it was you know he would always consult with Brad and Robert. Miss him, man. Yeah, Uh, Jacob Olihars. Was Jay fired? Was Jay Felger fired following a venture? <laughs> <laughs> and was there ever a third story nugget that that didn't it, percolate into a into a script? There was not. There was no nugget, okay. and uh, Jay's no probably still kicking around somewhere. I would uh, suspect so. Yeah, I would. I would think so. I would think he would have his his place. Yeah. So. Uh, Russell, uh, when you were writing the Fourth Horseman, did a solar flare send you forwards in time to 2020? Did you ever think how scarce, scarily close you were to how last year has and part of this year has gone? It's interesting, huh? I mean, yeah. you know, you, you you work in science fiction. Uh, eventually, you might you're, you're liable to get something right. Well, look and, at the uh, Simpsons. I mean, everyone's like, Simpsons, yeah. pre- pre- um, Simpsons was right again. And I'm like, yeah, it's because they've had like 3,000 episodes. <laughs> yeah. Something's yes. in there. They're going to get it yes. in their head. Yes. Jeez, man. <laughs> if, uh, Chantal Leo, if you could create a spinoff for any uh, one SG-1 character, uh, who would it be for and what would it be about? Tukpi. Wow. Yeah, I do like, you know, I love the fish out of water story. So, yeah, very much. I would love a Tilk settling into uh, human society story. That would be a ton of fun. And yeah. then, of, of course, you know, 
um, ele- you know, elements of his past, mm. uh, you know, dangerous elements of his past will crop up every once in a while. And of course he has to sort of keep everything on the down low. And that will be, you know, part of the story, uh, you know, him having to deal with the, with the issue while, while keeping the rest of the neighborhood none the wiser. Affinity was, was yeah. a, a pretty good shot at that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, when when he announced that he was acquiring his apartment on Tuesday or whatever it was in, in yeah. the order, I was anticipating a whole season arc to that. Mm-hmm. But at least mm-hmm. we got affinity, you know, but that yeah. was one of those things where, you know, if you could have spent a year, like every two yeah. or three episodes having this, I think that that would have been fascinating to watch. Yes, I agree. I, I totally agree. But I mean, because this, this show was really, um, it was not that serialized. Mm-hmm. I think that type of like a through line would have would have worked best in, in, if the show had been a little more serialized, where we could have checked in with him and and done element, aspects of his life that wouldn't have necessarily related to the story. Whereas basically, we were very economical with the with the scenes we included in each episode That's because true. each scene had to drive this the story oh, forward story. somehow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the arguments that Larry David always made when he would talk about Seinfeld. You know, we had we had these these great scenes, you know, but we we have twenty two minutes of TV, precious yeah. seconds, you know, to get yeah. this story out. And I mean, and every one of those characters, you know, ha- typically had had a story. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot. <laughs> Seinfeld is one of my favorites. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, mine too. What Elizabeth Lee? Was there ever any consideration to to throw the wraith against the Ori? No, I think that would be just overly complicated uh, <laughs> matters. I mean, it's the same as, as kind of the gold wraith uh, right. potential uh, crossover, which uh, I think Brad and Robert were especially mindful of trying to keep the two shows separate, even though we do did have the crossovers. Yeah, Caldwell you was know, a, was a ghoul. Yeah, yeah. So that was a great twist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Love it. Yeah, okay, too. okay, yeah. that's fair. That's I, 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 I was not a huge fan of the um, of the uh, those kind of crossover elements because I just felt that they they kind of overly complicated. Uh, they were rewarding for like longtime fans, but for more casual viewers. They'd be like, "What? What's going on? What? What have I missed?" <laughs> no, that's fair. It's like it's like when when I used to collect comic books, and and it'd be like, you know, I get to the end of the comic book, and it'd be like, to find out how this story ends, oh. go pick up the Incredible Hulk number seventy one. I'm like, I don't read Hulk. It's a bait and no, switch. No, I have to. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that would piss me off. I think the Pegasus Project is one of the best episodes of SG-1. Yeah. But it yeah. doesn't rely on a piece of, of Atlantis. You know, it just utilizes that set and those characters. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think Brad does a great job. I mean, but that's Brad, right? I mean, he is, <laughs> you know, he is Stargate. He is, he is Stargate. SG-1. He is Atlantis. So, and, and he's a terrific writer. So, of course, he's able to sort of, marry all those elements in a way that doesn't feel bloated or uh you know overwhelming raj wanted to know how similar or different do you think an sg1 lost city film would have been compared to the uh the the two episodes uh that that we got the effects would probably have been more intense yes i i don't know if they would have been honestly that different outside of the ending yeah with the uh city of atlantis um no, I I don't 
think it would have been all that different, but that, that's really more of a question for Rob mm. since he was the writer. Okay. Yeah, I mean, aside from the uh, Arctic sequences in Continuum, I mean, I think Lost City really holds up against, you know, anything like, like you did with Continuum or maybe even Arc of Truth. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's really it's it's really there. So, Jet Ison, mm-hmm. do you think we could possibly expect a crossover between Star Trek and Stargate? Um, I think it's unlikely. <laughs> Not because I, you know, I wouldn't be CBS. happy to do one. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think in that case, uh, it would really be dependent on uh, CBS, and right. uh, they're they're. A far ways from MGM. I wouldn't be surprised if we if they did that in a comic book form. Star Trek has done a Doctor Who crossover, mm-hmm. or Doctor Who's done a Star Trek crossover. I don't know. Oh, how I mean, there's there been a ton of uh, yeah comic book crossovers for sure. Hmm. George, Photis, Dramasoitis. I think that's probably Greek. Mm-hmm. Any disadvantages in shooting an American show in Canadian locations with a Canadian cast, even the usage of Canadian-specific slang? You guys were very specific to steer away from um, uh, Canadian yeah. slang because it was in Colorado. So Yeah, we, tr- we tried to be as uh, cognizant as possible with regard to uh, yeah the slang, to, to writing. And, you know, I get... One of the reasons that it was done in Canada was, you know, you, you could get a, a, especially sci-fi shows, you could get a bigger bang for your budget with the dollar at that yeah, time. Yeah, there was a, yeah, I mean, I think I remember, I think it was like 40% at one point, 35. big deal. 40%. And then you got the tax credits on top of that. Like in, in Ontario, the, conservatively, the tax credits are like 25% of your budget. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any disadvantages. I can't really, like... Well, I mean... Canadians are cool, man. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, as, as kind of, you know, the more shows you do... Yeah. Um, you know, unless you're drawing from a talent pool in, 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 in Toronto or, or L.A., you tend to see kind of the same actors... Uh, That's true. ...over and over again. Yeah, there's only there's only so many people in that pool. That That, mm-hmm. that is a very legitimate response to, to mm-hmm. that. In a funny way, who Matthew Hall says, who was the biggest diva in a funny way that you've worked with, even if it was just a one-off? Uh, in a funny a way on Stargate? Way. I mean, I've heard of rumors, but I mean, those are people that we couldn't mention. So like like a funny, yeah. funny kind of diva. You know? Was to... Richard Kind a handful? No, actually, he was he was in a uh, good way. The light. No, no, no. He was <laughs> he was he was fun. I remember when he was doing um he was on set and uh, there was a scene where he was just kind of walks off and he's like, uh, you know, can I try to ad lib something? And we're like, sure. And, right? and he ended up ad libbing uh and uh and you know we ended up keeping it in the uh in the uh, <laughs> uh I mean uh um kind of a fun diva i can't think of i can't think of a fun diva <laughs> that feels more like kind of like an oxymoron i mean there are and, there are characters to be fair you know there would be in in any you know type of situation you know when you do 300 and you know 64 some odd episodes of television mm-hmm. you're going to have people on that you're or like we're not having that person back you know Oh yeah, for me there there you know there have so. been some guest stars. Uh, one in particular who people are like, "Oh, 
right. it was so was so much fun probably to work with with that individual and I right and exactly. say anything but uh, no. Well, you know, I mean, there and situations where I think at one point I had heard where cue cards were required on set because they couldn't keep their lines straight. You know, right? (laughs) If I'm remembering correctly, yeah, that is, yeah. But in that particular situation, that you were able to get as good an episode as you did—that's just movie magic, man. That's pretty, (laughs) and we'll never, no one will ever know who it was. Editors are the unsung heroes. Oh my god, the industry. You know, I. I'm, I'm not even going to mention, but there was, I did an episode of television once where the guest star was terrible. So terrible that when they, they did their first take, uh, the onset producer turned and looked at me and said, you look like you're going to pass out. I think basically my, my face turned white because it was, it was, it was an actor that I didn't really want to cast, but, but. Oh but no. Was, was, so you were already. Yes. Yes. Somewhat reticent. And, yeah. uh, and I thought the episode is ruined. And then our editor, it's such an amazing job and people watch the episode and, and some are like, this actor was amazing in this yeah. episode. And, and, and I, you know, I'm back my mind, I'm thinking, if you only knew. Right. You know? Yeah. You're dying breath. You can make it tell. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. 50 years from now, Darren and I have always yeah. talked about 50 years yeah. from now, we're going to, you know, make an unauthorized uh, story when, when you guys are long gone yeah. and, and we're almost out of the picture, we'll release it. Long um, gone. <laughs> long gone like 50, <laughs> 50 60 70 years from now um but uh it's it's one of those things where you know you there's some there's some big names out there and you're lucky to get them and it's like oh crap this is not working you mm-hmm. know and then in other circumstances you know you, you get you find these diamonds in the rough where it's like yeah you know they're brand new and mm-hmm. you know they were on your show one of your shows first before mm-hmm. they really just exploded out there. You know, mm-hmm. Jason had Jason was Lola, definitely yeah. really definitely established be- mm-hmm. before, you know, uh, mm-hmm. he had, he had his, his run on Baywatch, but, mm-hmm. and everyone gives game of Thrones credit for his real, real explosion because I mean, game of Thrones was an explosion, yeah. but so much of what called Drogo is mm-hmm. was Ronan first. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's the case. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. I was Murloc. Uh, any consideration of a Dark Matter reboot at any point in the future? Absolutely. In fact, actually, I, uh, I was talking to Jay Firestone, president of Prodigy Pictures. Uh, he emailed me. I was like, Dark Matter movie? And I'm like, well, let's talk Dark Matter series. And there are actually two places where we could take it. And so, actually, you know, he's going to float the idea to one place. And then, um, depending on what kind of reception he gets... I uh, I may sort of put together a little pitch and and approach the other place through my through my agents. Um, right. I kind of already have an idea of how you know we can address the uh, the three year time jump. So uh, okay, you know, a, a miniseries would be perfect. It would allow me to retie really things up. There's a lot of those now, so you know, yeah, we can, we can always hope. Ju Tao, uh, since alternate universe travel is possible in Stargate. Um, I guess this ties into an earlier question. Mm-hmm. What would be a good good crossover for Stargate with another sci-fi space franchise? Dark Matter. I think Dark yeah. Matter would fit. Dark Matter would fit. In fact, actually, we were in talks with MGM uh, yeah. on the heels of the Dark Matter cancellation. And uh, we have a device called the Blink Drive from Dark Matter that would allow us to travel to 
uh, alternate uh, realities. And so that was a possibility that uh, sadly went away, but totally yeah. uh, dark matter. If you enjoy SG-1 in Atlantis, you may like to, you may like to try dark matter. Yeah, there was some writers I think that were involved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm trying to think of another show that I think that would work with. You could probably uh, pull it off in Farscape. I was going to say Farscape. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Farscape, Dark Matter, SUN, or Atlantis. Yeah, absolutely. Akos <laughs> yeah. Thomas Novaki. Uh, any consideration to releasing Lost City uh, one and two, and the extra battle scenes in Avalon together as a DVD movie? That'd be an interesting idea. Yeah, that's a question for MGM. Yeah. Uh, alas, I mean that's all out of uh, my hands. Like people ask about soundtracks, and you know, I think it's a great idea, but ultimately. Uh, that decision rests with uh, the studio. Mm. Dr. Essex, in the Changeling, Daniel Jackson ha- as a spirit guide was well done, compassionate, yet pushing for growth to heal the soul. Um, uh, was it an easy decision to evolve him in that way? That was that was um, Chris's story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, having Michael back in that uh, episode and having him back in um, Abyss. Whew! Man, oh man, yeah. what a tour de force for all of those actors. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and a real treat for the fans as well. Absolutely. RMRV, do you feel conflict in a story is paramount to a good story, or are strong characters more important? Uh, I think I've always said viewers tune in for the hook, but they stay for the characters. So our characters are hands down the most important thing about a story. Absolutely. Barry Barry, I noticed you're a fan of Judge Dredd. Do you read 200 AD? Uh, I do. I do. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been reading uh, a lot of anything lately, but uh, yes, actually, I, uh, I have a, uh, a, a subscription uh, set up at uh, Rebellion. And so I will. Oh, uh, there you go. Pick up, uh, yeah. And Reese finally asks, uh, what do you think uh, would have happened to Atlantis if it, if it uh, after it went to Earth, if the series had carried on? We've kind of already answered this one. Yeah, the answer to that question is in the Stargate Extinction film script that would have seen Atlantis make his eventual return, his triumphant return to the Pegasus Galaxy. Pegasus Galaxy. There yeah. you go. I hear Suji. We're not going to keep her waiting anymore. No, yeah, this one, it's okay. <laughs> just taking care of her. Joe, this is um, continuing to be a wonderful treat, walking through uh, all these all these memories with you. And uh, uh, I really appreciate, really appreciate you taking the time. But before we let you go, uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to announce, or uh, not announce, I guess, but uh, bring up uh, uh, your podcast with uh, the companion, Gator's Gonna Rate. So congratulations on this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And when uh, can we expect, uh, um, is, is it, how, has, has it started debuting yet? No, not yet. Actually, okay. we record our first episode uh, tomorrow. We'll be discussing the, uh, fa- the fans uh, weighing in on the best Stargate fight, uh, hand-to-hand combat. All right. And, uh, yeah, uh, former stunt coordinator, now big-time director, James Bam Bam Bamford, will be joining us as a uh, special guest. That's terrific. Yeah, yeah he's a good guy. Uh, he any, is. Any uh, updates on Powder Mage? Still trucking along? Um, yeah, still chugging along. We're, um, I delivered an overview uh, that I ran by Brian McClellan, who's the author, who's a terrific, terrific guy. 
and I just broke the pilot episode. So I kind of know what, so we know what that pilot episodes will be. So the next step will be just to finalize a pitch. Um, meanwhile, our, our partners over at Frantic Films, JB Sugar, uh, and uh, his assistant Ella are putting together a pitch deck with a lot of beautiful illustrations. Uh, and we're going to start going out engaging interests. So, you know, hopefully it'll be a busy 20, late 2021, 20, 22 powder mage, uh, new Stargate, new dark matter. Yes, uh, please, all know, of it. My timescape series and various other uh, uh, goodies. Yeah, you better get some sleep now, my friend. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> You're going to be in for it. I think, I think that... Uh, I think that there are some good, uh, uh, some sunny days ahead. So yeah. please, Fingers God, crossed. I don't know yeah. what we're all going to do. <laughs> so Joe, thank you again. Well, thanks for having me. This is always a delight. Absolutely. And uh, we will catch you next month uh, with more stories to tell in SG1 Season 8. All right. You take Looking care of yourself, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. Joseph Malazzi, everyone writer and executive producer of Stargate. Thank you for joining us. Would you like to own a piece of the Pegasus dial home device? Boy, I sure would. For the month of February, that's the wrong button. For the month of February, Dial the Gate is partnering with Empire Movie Props to give away this piece of the DHD from the Atlantis episode Phantoms. To enter to win, you need to use a desktop or laptop computer and visit dialthegate.com. Scroll down to Submit Trivia Questions. Your trivia may be used on a future episode of Dial the Gate, either for our monthly trivia night or for a special guest to ask me in a round of trivia. There's three slots for trivia, one easy, one medium, and one hard. Only one needs to be filled in, but you're more than welcome to submit up to three. Please note the submission form does not currently work for mobile devices. Your trivia must be received before March the 1st. If you're the lucky winner, I'll be notifying you via your email right after the start of the new year to get your address. And big thanks to Empire Movie Props for making this item available to a member of our audience. And now for merchandise. (laughs) Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free and we do appreciate you watching. But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We're now offering t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages in a variety of sizes and colors at Redbubble. Uh, We currently offer four themed designs and hope to add more in the future. The word cloud designs have both a solid background or a transparent background option. So you have some flexibility between choosing a light or a dark color. Do keep that in mind when you're making your selection because it'll tell you there in the parameters. Checkout is fast and easy and you can even use your Amazon or your PayPal account. Just visit dialthegate.redbubble.com. And thank you for your support. We really appreciate uh, your interest in the show. Uh, And if you like what you've seen in this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you click that like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing the video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, you can click the subscribe icon. Mika McKinnon. Stargate Science Consultant will be joining us in about 45 minutes. We have a lot of ground to cover with Mika. Uh, Extremely excited to have her. She's one of the reasons that I created this show was to sooner or later get her on and get her her, uh, input. Um, This is an extraordinary person, and she is one of the most uh, enthusiastic uh, uh, people that I have ever met when it comes to science and 
science fiction and it's going to be uh, a really good time having her on so i hope you can join us so mika is coming up next followed by martin lloyd himself willie garson so stick around i'm david reed for dial the gate we'll see you on the other side dial the gate is hosted and executive produced by david reed the producer is darren sumner co-produced by linda fury the composer is neil acree Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. Dial the Gate.